Welcome back to The Future Strategist, and I am again going to be talking with Greg Cochran about COVID-19. Greg, what updates do you have for us this week? Um, well, more events, most of them bad, and and some new thoughts and some reactions to what some other people have said, which I think things that maybe need to be corrected. Well, I think it's continuing to grow pretty rapidly. It's getting you know, growing rapidly in the United States, the, you know, the places where it is, you know, the center of it right now, the worst place is probably Italy, and that keeps getting worse. Uh, I think uh, there are announced number of cases, you know, announced today, which would be for yesterday, that the, the number of deaths was 793. And is this more than would be expected? Well, what it means is, you know, they've done some efforts to try to slow transmission and as yet, the, it's still growing. So the results, you know, the results would take a while, but, you know, we haven't seen any real positive results yet. All right. About how long did they really try to lock everything down? I think it was around 12 days ago. Okay. So it has been enough time where you would have hoped to have seen uh, a slowing down of death rates, right? Just barely, but maybe uh, uh, something like that. But, uh, the Chinese, have, they have some observers and people were trying to help and said, we don't think you're doing nearly enough. Uh, and they might know. Well, that's bad news for Italy, but I guess good news for the rest of the world. If they were doing a lot and it still wasn't stopping. But... Well, I think that there's a more general observation, which is um, – and this goes back a little when people are talking about uh, you know, flattening the curve and so forth – that's none of that makes any sense. Uh, the thing is, you have this thing growing rapidly, and um, to get in a better shape, you have to get to the point where it's not growing rapidly, which probably means it's not growing at all. Uh, and um, the difference in long-term results between, let's say, half measures or mild measures compared to doing the, the outcome is probably almost exactly the same as if you did nothing at all. So that's like saying if it doubles every two days versus doubles every two and a half days, it really doesn't matter. In both cases, you get to the point where lots and lots of people have it. The ultimate fraction of people that get it is maybe a little lower. That's something, but not it's not a whole lot different. Um, I mean, the, the ultimate fraction, in fact, is kind of a function of R-naught. Uh, but you'll still get rapidly – to the point where the hospitals are overwhelmed, which means the death rate goes up because the people who need respiratory care can't get it. Uh, and it's, you know, if it, again, if it's doubling to two and a half days instead of two or two instead of, or three instead of two, that's still too fast. That's not enough time for people to do much useful to get ready for it. So uh, the outcomes Either you do enough to sit on it, and so which has sort of happened in places like China, uh, probably South Korea, Taiwan, although it never got as much out of control in some of those countries. It was never as big in the first place in, say, Taiwan and Singapore, mm -hmm. uh, which means it's easier to, to, to get control of it when it's not that big. Anyhow, in those places, the uh, um, like in South Korea, the death rate's running around 1%, and they're doing lots of testing. I don't think there's vast numbers of untested people. Uh, but if you were in a situation like northern Italy where there is no room in the hospitals, the rate is higher than 1%, quite a bit higher. 
Do you know about how much it is? Well, I'm actually getting a better feel for it, and I don't think I like it. Now, this isn't a percentage, but there's another way of looking at this, which normally people don't do because it shouldn't show anything. Just look at the overall death rate. Normally, if you look at something like the flu and or even more serious things, and you try to look at the overall death rate, you wouldn't see it because it's such a small fraction mm-hmm. of the total deaths. Uh, for example, AIDS back in the 80s maybe killed half a million people. Yeah. But it was stretched out over, let's say, 10 years. And since the normal number of people dying per year was, a, say, a couple of million, you know, the difference between 20 million and 20.5 million, you know, if you, if all you looked at was the overall death rate, you wouldn't have seen a lot. Now, if you had looked at particular subgroups like young people, things like that, particular cities like San Francisco or New York, then you would have noticed something. But, you know, 20.5 compared to 20, it, it doesn't, you know, scream at you, right? right. But, uh, for example, uh, I was looking at uh, – now, this is limited data. And it's probably in some of the worst places in Italy, but it's enough to get the flavor. It was a, There was a town where they said, we've had 400 die in, I believe, the last – what was it? A couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. That's where most, you know, it's these things, they're growing rapidly. So it's the very recent times where most of this stuff happens. Uh, and they said previously, you know, in the same time period last year, we lost 100. So that must four, be four, four times more. And the other interesting thing was the fraction of it that was officially attributed to coronavirus was only 91 of those extra 300 deaths. That seems implausible. They're likely... No, they probably are... But the point is, lots of people are dying without ever getting tested because they don't even get to the hospital. Uh, I read an example of a guy, you know, he had a fever for a few days. He was trying to call a hotline for help. It was always busy, and then he died. He never... And they didn't... They're not testing the dead people. Yeah. So the real... Deaths in Italy are probably running something like three times higher than the announced deaths, the deaths that are caused by coronavirus. And there's enough of them that in some of these towns, it's dominating the death rate. It's, you know, it's the death rate might be three, four, five times higher than normal over the past couple of weeks. Okay. So this could mean that disease is more lethal in Italy or a higher number of people are infected than we would expect. Probably number two. You know, excuse me, probably, probably more lethal. I don't think in these cases there's evidence that, you know, 50% of the population had had it. For one thing, if it did, it would be slowing down. And it's not really. You know, you can tell that. If it, if most people or very many people have already had it, the effective R not drops because, you know, it's harder to find somebody to be a new host because, you know, it's like a forest fire where a good fraction of the trees have already been burnt. So, in fact, you know it can't be a real high fraction that has already been infected. And also, I don't think testing anywhere in Italy has actually suggested that. The thing is probably killing, you know, in Italian conditions where you can't get good um, um, medical care for most people at this point. Yeah. Because there isn't enough of it. Uh, and also because Italy is on average pretty old. And this is much more dangerous as you get older. Um, you know, it's pro- I mean, of the announced cases, uh, it's like 8% dead. Uh, now it might, I think I've seen some things that as much as there might be a similar number of, uh, asymptomatic cases that aren't being counted, but that would still make it 4%. Okay. Which is that, that means if it spreads throughout and half the people get it, that could be 2% of Italy dies or 2% of the United States. 
Yeah. That's a fairly big number. Uh, but, you know, it would only be about six million. Who would care about that? <laughs> well, it does seem our political class is starting to care. Well, I see all sorts of people who don't uh, or who say, well, you know, it's old people. They would have died someday anyhow. And I said, you know, if I start extending that argument a little further, you might. it might be that nobody likes it. Uh, but as I said, anyhow, I think the real death toll in Italy is about three – at least three times, you know, and something like three times what they're announcing because lots of people are dying before they ever get tested. And so that would mean instead of um, almost 800, say it's something over 2,000 per day. So it, it, Italy is still in the exponential growth part of the, the curve, right? So it, it's, it still seems to be – I mean the day before, that was eight, 793. The day before was 625. That's uh, – a fair increase. Uh, God, how many? If if Italy doesn't stop it, how many more days before it? That's forty-two percent increase in one day. What? Uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, if they don't stop it, they'll get to the point where they've run out of people to infect. But those casualties will probably be much higher than what we're seeing. It would have to be thousands per day, or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would stop because after a while, you'd run out of uh, uninfected Italians. Uh, I mean, with this sort of thing, with this sort of R naught, although it may have been modified, it may have gotten at least somewhat better because of their uh, uh, crackdown measures. But if they had done nothing, you'd probably predict about two thirds of the population would get it, maybe a bit less now that they've. Uh, that's at least something you can like. These crackdowns are in Italy so far do not seem to have been enough to really stop growth. But even if they slow it, it will decrease the total casualties at the end because probably the total fraction of people who get it would be smaller. Yeah, at least but people not, who but, – But not small. You know, it might be 50 percent instead of 60 percent. One thing I've heard suggested is this has a lot to do maybe – again, you know, this is all iffy with social customs like being the sort of people who, uh, you know, kiss each other on the cheek, who, who are physically close, who – I mean, you know, people – Cultures and populations vary in how close they stand to each other. Uh, And, uh, you know, like I suspect in the near future, people will be explaining that a group hug was the most evil thing anybody could ever do. Uh, uh, I mean, really, it's it's a mistake. And, you know, being standoffish and keeping to yourself and, uh, you know, a lot of other things which are sort of more stereotypes of Northern Europe. Yeah. They might be helping. I mean, this is sort of a guess, but – you know, it's happening in Spain too. Spain, you know, the deaths per day are getting to be, you know, they're almost 300, I think, in Spain. So they're, it's the, getting worse rapidly in Spain. So they need to crack down a lot more in these countries. Well, there are things you can do that aren't that uh, toxic, uh, like wearing masks. I mean, we, masks we, we, look we, helpful. We don't seem to have enough masks, though. I mean, it's almost impossible have- to buy in the United States right now. Well, there are people with sewing machines. You can make good but imperfect masks at home. So would – like I have a ski mask. Should I is, – is that better than nothing if I'm going to go to the grocery store? I would research it, but I suspect that it is. I haven't checked that particular thing. Basically, you want a fine weave if we're making amateur masks. Uh, yes, I made a prediction the other day. By the way, I'm looking forward a little bit. You know, by Christmas, people will be, be buying high fashion masks, you know, that cost $15,000 that oh, have diamonds on them and that, uh, and they'll be daring because they'll have 
transparent plastic over your mouth so it'll look like your mouth isn't covered, which will be, you know, show how, what a bad, uh, girl you are. Uh, that's bad news. That means. Well, I mean, one thing about bad news in Italy is at least it's potentially capable of scaring other people in distant places to be more careful. I, I'm sure that, you know, people making decisions in the United States and other places, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, Japan, Korea, because they're kind of already there, but other places are probably paying attention to Italy. I said, what, you know, what's the old saying? You know, if you can't be, you know, uh, you know, if you can't be good, at least you can be a horrible example. Uh, I don't wish, I would not wish this on anybody, but that is a po- you know, it's a positive effect, especially if I think people don't think of Italy as, you know, someplace that's so strange and different that, you know, that what happens there wouldn't apply. I think that it's fairly easy to get, you know, we're getting some coverage of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but I, I, I wanted to say again, I think this is a very important point. I think half measures are not very much different in their effect from doing nothing. Uh, it's, Unfortunate, but you know that's the nature of this process. And the U.S. is mostly doing half measures right now. Would you? Looks like it. We have a couple of things that could help us. Again, like driving private cars, lower density, and at least on average, probably more in Minnesota than in uh, Staten Island, Americans don't walk up and greet each other by kissing and hugging. They don't. Uh, you know, they're socially more distant. You know, you know, it could be that, uh, you know, North Dakota will do better just because people, the sort of people said, well, I'm, you know, we, we haven't talked to this guy. He's only been living, you know, across the street for 25 years. We're, you know, waiting for the right moment. You know, mm-hmm. people like that. I mean, all these are stereotypes, but there's some truth to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, they may make some differences. And there- again, not everyone in the United States is Italian. There, so that's it's one advantage. Is there any chance the reason some places, some people are, you know, more standoffish is an evolved response to viruses? That you know, there were a lot of viruses in their ancestral environment, and so the people who just didn't want to hug and get near other people did better. I don't know. I can tell you. I can think of places that had hordes of viruses, and people there are still perfectly happy to come up and slap you on the back and. Do a high five and all kinds. I mean, I, it's not a real simple correspondence. If, I mean, there might be some truth in it, but there's enough other things going on that it's, you know, it's just no obvious way for me to see whether there's any truth to it or not. But, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, people are sort of shy of strangers is actually a, that's, it's not impossible. I mean, everybody is some, right? right. Some more than others. But this has, uh, you know, over long periods of human prehistory, once in a while, there must have been other things that jumped to people, very often from animals. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you were the village that, you know, just said, you know, we, we don't really have much to do with other people, it would have helped you. So I, it's possible. And you were also talking about how you disagree with some of the some commentators out there. Uh, well, there's a – and, you know, there's kind of two flavors. One, for example, is a guy named John Ionides uh-huh. who is uh, – uh, a doctor and has done a lot of good work in uh, showing that a huge fraction of people's statistical studies were were not really very valid. You know that the, you know he's an important guy in the replication crisis. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, he's it, a hero in the rationality community. 
Yeah, well, but the problem is he's apparently gone insane because, you know, he put out some papers saying, yeah, this is probably not really much, you know, we just don't have enough information. We don't know if it's much better than, much worse than flu. Uh, and he gave some examples and the examples were nonsensical. He talked about this, uh, he talked primarily about this ship, uh, cruise ship. Right. Where, uh, uh, where about 700 people out of, you know, considerably more people, so 3,700, I think, altogether on the ship, ended up getting infected. And of those, uh, I believe now eight have now died. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little over 1% of those infected. Uh, and he said, but, you know, uh, so a lot of people never got infected. I said, well, partly because they noticed there was an epidemic and people shut their doors. I mean, there wasn't something that says everybody in the ship has to go in a big mixer once now that we know that an epidemic is happening. But, but the point is that the number that ended up getting infected was, uh, you know, what was it? You know, 700 out of 3,700. So that's about what? Uh, 20%, mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, uh, and then he talks about it, his example that he thinks things might be like is one in which the case fatality rate is, uh, a third of a percent, which is considerably lower than that ship, or lower than Korea, lower than Italy, lower than the cases from what we know from China. I mean, I don't know where it comes from other than, you know, gee, it would be nice. A friend used, introduced me to a useful word on this, wish casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, okay. And then that 1% of the United States ends up being infected. And that last number is even crazier because why would it only be 1%? Yeah. Because when you have a new virus that nobody's immune to, the natural course of it, the surprise free thing, if, if nobody does anything to stop it, is for, to spread, uh, until a high fraction of the people have had it so much so that the R naught has decreased because it's getting harder to find, you know, f- fresh people who haven't already had it and are, are immune. Mm-hmm. So. With, let's suppose that the R naught for this thing perhaps is three. That would predict that 67% of the Americans would eventually get it. Suppose it's two, and it's not lower than that because it's definitely growing faster than the flu. Right. Then it would be a mere 50%. Okay. And the third thing he was imagining, he says, well, you know, he just sort of neglects is when you have lots and lots of people have it, the death rate is different than when a few people have it. When a few people have it, they can get good supportive care. They can get oxygen. They can get ventilators. When a lot of people have it, most of the seriously ill people won't be able to get those things, and they'll just die. That's what's happening in northern Italy. I mean, and and the idea, oh, maybe for all we know, maybe it's really not much worse than a flu. I said there has never been a normal flu that quadrupled the death rate. Yeah. Okay. So all of this is, I found it surprising. I don't know why he said it. He said lots of things that made no sense. And I have seen some other people, some of them with more excuse than him, because he knows something about some of this stuff. But I know, you know, other people who I thought had pretty good general sense, but it turns out general sense doesn't always extend to uh, exponential growth and epidemics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, lots of people are saying, yeah, it'll only probably, or it'll get to this point and it'll just naturally, won't increase anymore. I said, why? They don't answer it. And they said, because I want it to, as far as I can tell, is their reason. What, what's supposed to stop it uh, if we do nothing? I can't see what it's supposed to be. 
I mean, stop it before it hits, you know, half, two thirds. I mean, and we know other epidemics. Uh, you know, flu has a lower R naught, although it's still enough. We can, you know, it spreads very easily. Right. More like 1.3. When they had a new version of flu about 10 years ago, H1N1, mm-hmm. it it had a reasonably typical spreading rate for flu, and it ended up affecting 24% of everybody in the United States. Not 1%, 24%. Why not more? Because it's R0 is lower than that of Wu flu. Okay? Uh, and that number is almost exactly what you'd expect from a simple model and knowing only they are not. And how are we sure? We did serological tests. After, you know, this was later after the story was finished. Yeah. What fraction of Americans have been affected? 24%. And uh, this is typical when you get a new disease or let's say an old one that hasn't been – has has perhaps paused, hasn't been there for a long time. Nobody still is immune to it. I was looking at an example of a, some islands, the Faroe Islands, a little Danish area. They hadn't – there was a – uh, years ago, many years ago, back in the eight, 1800s, they had an epidemic of measles. They hadn't had one for 65 years because they were so isolated. Yeah. Um, and when they got it, it infected 75% of the population, which is, you know, our, uh, measles has a high R naught. That's kind of what you expect. Only people over 65 were, were, you know, many of them immune. Uh, although there was another funny thing about those people over 65. They hit their grandkids, kids, and some of them escaped it. Uh, they, they remembered. Uh, but, uh, and, and we know plenty of examples like this. And essentially, you know, the people who are, are the talking classes, they don't know mm-hmm. any of these things and they don't want to hear it either, uh, mostly. Uh, and I'm not sure of all the reasons. Oh, some of them are saying, well, there will be huge economic costs, and they're not wrong. Right. Uh, uh, but there are also people who I think uh, individual fear is a, is a is a consideration in some cases. People are trying. If I just think, if I if I say the right magic words, these dangers outside me will go away. Uh, but by the way, uh, interesting. There's some interesting comments on the you know the the implications of big economic costs. Uh, as far as I can tell, everybody who says anything about this is a compulsive liar. <laughs> or, let me be fair, they're that, just incredibly stupid. Um, I, I mean, that's, I don't think that's quite fair. There's, I said know, the implications. I've heard uh, people saying, well, you know, if we had – suppose we had a depression. That itself would greatly uh, – would cause tremendous amounts of uh, increased mortality in the United States. But it wouldn't. That's I mean, not true. We know. We haven't had a depression in quite a while. We don't quite know. Well, Mexico has a per capita income of about $8,900. Yeah. The United States is about 59.5. Do you know what the difference in lifespan is, expected lifespan between Mexico and the United States? You know there's a lot going on there, right? The fair comparison is Mexican-Americans to Mexicans and – it's oh yeah, since Mexican Americans actually average higher than the average American, right. even they're poor. No, uh, no, these things simply aren't true. I mean, the difference is one year. I mean, Korea has a longer average lifespan, and they're poorer than the United States. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we know lots of examples of fairly poor countries that either have extremely close health systems to in terms of outcomes, you know, to the United States, or even better, uh, like. I mean, I mean, if if we drop the GNP by half, there's no reason to expect even a nick in the life expectancy. 
Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it didn't happen in the Great Depression. I mean, actually, life expectancy went up, but that was probably primarily because of ongoing improvements in health care and sanitation. But when you look for things that you think might be affected by it, there just isn't much change. I mean, this is something people are saying. I saw people saying, we have probably already caused 10 million deaths by the stock market going down as much as it has. And that, there's a technical word for that. That's complete bullshit. It's a lie. (laughs) Every single syllable of it is a lie. Every letter of every syllable. We don't, I mean, people might be misinformed. We don't quite, we don't know they're lying. It's a false well, what? I mean, yes, you, we need to bring in the Costanza principle. It's not a lie if you believe it. Well, what do you think of the possible treatments that President Trump is saying? He's very optimistic. Uh, it's a partly his job to be – look, the odds that any given one of these things we're mentioning is going to be very effective are not very good. But we're going to try a lot of things. Uh, it's too early to say. And um, I mean one thing about this, since this disease – you know, in a bad situation, it might be killing three or four percent of the people. If you wanted to try, um, if you were trying a preventative, you'd have to test, you'd have to give it to quite a few people just to see if you were dropping that three percent. I mean, you know, because most people are okay anyhow. Right. Now, now, if you found something that you could give to people who are already in a respirator and were in deep, I think the technical phrase is deep shit, and then you know, within the day, they got better, almost all of them. And we have found things like this in the past. For certain, You know, penicillin was like that for many things. Mm-hmm. Then you could see, then you don't need to do huge studies. So if you find something with a real strong, real quick positive effect, you'll know. Okay. Uh, uh, but there, if you're talking about things that are useful but less powerful, like, you know, they increase survival by, you know, 20% over what it would have been, uh, you're going to have to do statistical studies, and and in terms of what about people who say we think we have biochemical reasons for thinking this might work? That's useful, but I can tell you, most of the time when people think that, it turns out they don't. Now, a high, it's a better fraction than if you had no knowledge at all, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we found something useful. If we, but I don't think there's any strong evidence that we have yet. I hope so. I, we have much larger set of things to try we much set of larger set of methods to try than we once did but mm-hmm. you know i'll tell you the odds are that any given thing you try won't work and the odds are probably thousands to one or at least hundreds to one uh that it won't work uh but you know that's why we need to try a number of things uh i mean if i pick something that somebody has a really strong biochemical argument that it ought to work well there it might have a one in ten chance of working it's that that's roughly you know, you know look at Look at drug development. It's hard. Although we do have one advantage over a lot of kinds of drug development. You see, in many cases, like when people are trying to make a commercial new drug, they're trying to make something that works better than what we already have. And that can be difficult if the previous thing works fairly well. But here, we're starting at zero. We don't have anything that works. And I also imagine we should be optimistic because we haven't been fighting this and failing. So if you've been trying to fight a disease for a while and everything's failed – it's less likely a new treatment will work. It's it's at least true that there's no special reason to think that this is some super gnarly, super difficult to treat disease. I mean, HIV had a super high mutation rate. Uh, I mean, people called it a quasi-species. Like, it was seldom that two different copies of the virus were exactly the same. And it, it could therefore evolve very rapidly, etc. Uh, 
And it was also in a new category we didn't know much about. Uh, like the fact it was a retrovirus meant it could hide inside the cell, which also means it's harder to find things that hurt it and not the cell. Uh, coronavirus doesn't have any of those special weirdnesses. So, you know, I mean, I see no real reason. I mean, look, there are several uh, – uh, one, one other false thing I've seen. People said, well – People have tried to make coronavirus vaccines and they've never succeeded. I said they tried on one or two. They tried on SARS, yeah. okay? If you, but they quit because SARS went away. It wasn't because it was like endlessly difficult. I mean, they didn't instantly succeed, but the main reason was because the disease went away. Nope. But there are there are coronaviruses that affect animals, and we have commercial vaccines for several of them. That's, that's so that should be encouraging. Uh, for pigs, for dogs, we have several diseases. We have virus. So veterinarians uh, use coronavirus vaccines. Well, they're not exactly the same coronavirus, but they're in that family. Yes, uh, you know, pig farmers use it. it. We're talking exotic. You know, only the only the Illuminati know about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that's I think it's weird. I'm surprised. That's weird. I've never heard that before. You'd think that would be a major talking point. People trying to be optimistic, like, look, we can cure related viruses in pigs. So. Or the overlap, the, pigs, I mean. the overlap between our talking classes and working farmers is not real big. <sighs> yeah, but, that... yeah, I, I knew it existed, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, I, I know strange things. What can I say? Uh, also, look, you know, my, you know, my mother's family. You know, they used to be farmers. My dad's family used to be farmers. I have cousins who are farmers. Well, yeah, but this, this, wait, this seems really important. So do we have vaccines for coronaviruses or things that are close to coronaviruses? They are coronaviruses, but they are not you know, super, super close to this particular one. The only thing which is super, super close to this particular one that we know of is SARS. Okay. But, uh, but it, there's no – as far as we know, there are no special obstacles to it. We, because they, and by the way, when I also were talking about we want to go and look at existing drugs to see if we can repurpose them, uh, I would, I would consider many of the drugs that veterinarians use that they may not use on humans, they're worth examining. Would it be worth calling a vet and begging him to give you a vaccine for a pig? No, it's not the same virus. It won't work. But you said, uh, do the vets have something to say to scientists who are working on this? Yes, sure, they do, uh, and uh, and people should mine them for whatever knowledge they have. Well, I uh, get it was the vets who developed the vaccine, right? There must be must be. I don't know what you would call the guys researchers. Did. Yeah, but they, for all I know, the guys they had came out of vet school. I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, one thing to remember: uh, another scary reason to go to vets is you know it's a lot. You have to have higher test scores and things to get into vet school than you do into med school. I didn't know that. Is that are you? Being oh serious? yes. I'm absolutely serious. It's harder to get into vet school than med school. It just at least shows we have our priorities straight. Uh, but the point is, there are a lot of people who want to do it. And there are only so many, you know, vet schools. It's more limited compared to the potential demand than medical schools are. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's harder to get into vet school, at least the last time I looked at it, which was probably a few years ago. But I don't think it's changed. I think uh, – so, again, maybe we need to have the real killer elite mm-hmm. working on this is, you know, you know, hire the vet. But, yeah, they are smarter uh, on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know about, you know, the very smartest ones. I think the very smartest ones aren't going into either one personally, but I could be wrong. Uh, although I know a few friends that are MDs that are actually pretty sharp. 
please understand that, friends listening. To me. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, vets vets are smarter. They treat a wider range of things. They've worked with coronaviruses. I think at minimum it would do no harm to talk to them. And they and they do it. You know, they're nice people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Italy has drafted the vets to. to take I don't of know. If that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. They're really really short. I mean, uh, other. I mean, several places people are talking about. You know, calling up trying to get. I know in England they're trying to get retired guys to show up and help the NHS. Yeah. Uh, I think they're doing some similar things in Italy, but I don't know all the details. You know, anybody who can do some of the things they need to do. I think they're trying to get. I mean, I think they would be happy to get help from other countries, but the problem is most of the neighboring countries are now experiencing a very similar problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I think many of those countries would help, except for that. Uh, China has sent some people. That's, we hope for developing vaccines, but we, the United States needs to go a lot farther, and other countries need to go a lot farther than Italy did in locking things down. If we measure things very a whole lot... Oh, by the way, some people are saying, well, we know it's mild because everybody's already got it. And see, only a few hundred people have died. It is not true that everybody has already got it there. Uh, what percent of people in Italy do you think have it? That's harder to say, but I think it might be a few percent. But it's lower than that in the United States. We're behind them. Uh, a few percent. I mean, some of these towns, who knows, maybe it hit 10. I have not seen enough data to know. I saw one or two towns where they tested everybody. Uh, and in the process, they ended up closing down the epidemic. Because, but I think it got up to three percent, about okay. half of which was asymptomatic. But you know, it's you know, most people don't die a whole lot. You know, you need some, you have need a special reason. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. And I've been reading from Italy that most people who die have like a comorbidity. They have something else wrong with them. Oh, it's possible to exaggerate that. Yeah, but it's probably true. This thing. The death rate grows very rapidly with people's age, uh, um, which was also true of SARS, by the way. I mean, we didn't have as much data because the total number of people ever killed by SARS was like 300 something. Mm-hmm. But when they looked at it, it was, you know, the pattern of much more risk past 60 was there. So there are certain, you know, looking at what we know about SARS is certainly useful in trying to get a handle on this. Uh, but well, as for comorbidities, the thing is, you know, by, it depends on how you define it, but, you know, it's awfully hard to, it's hard to avoid having one after 60. Uh, or for that matter, I mean, if you say, well, this person is obese, well, okay, there's 60, 70% of the United States. If you said, this person has type 2 diabetes, that's very common. If this person has type 1 diabetes, you know, that, that can strike when you're quite young. And although it's not real common, it's not real rare either. You probably have met people with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if, I mean, uh, you can have long term health problems. Uh, I, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who has sort of a slow growing kind of lymphoma. You know, it, you know, you knock it back. It comes back eventually. You knock it back again. He's had it since 1984. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he would certainly be called somebody with an underlying health condition. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, he probably would have said, but I don't really think I'm ready to go yet for most of that period. And even today. Uh, uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, like one of the things I see is a lot of people who are like, you know, 
online. This does not mean it's necessarily a large fraction of the real world, but there's a lot of people who seem, you know, ecstatic at the idea of uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, older people dying. I haven't really encountered very much of that. We good for you. We have different uh, Twitter feeds. I, I take it. Uh, what's a? I don't have a Twitter feed, but I've seen it other places. Uh, the uh, uh, but there's a fair amount of it, and often related are these false economic arguments. If we have this happen, you know, we'll have uh, you know many more deaths from poverty. Yeah. Like I've seen people saying, everybody knows there's a statistical link between poverty and uh, and health, and there is. But let's, you've sort of divide, I would divide it into two. I mean, I actually think I understand this, which could be arrogant, but uh, there's like, uh, there's a couple of regimes. Like, like, we'll talk about real poverty, which is you don't have enough calories to survive till the end of the year. You know, starvation poverty. Yes, that's a good thing to avoid. A real good thing. But how many countries is that a major problem? Says hardly any right now. Uh, I mean, like I talked about Mexico being poorer than the United States, which it is, but they're even fatter than we are. They're not starving. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, and that's hard because we're, you know, they're the number one fattest country in the world. We're only number two. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, maybe not counting Tonga or something. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the things about how, you know, the only reason we can afford health care is because we're rich. I said, well, we spend a lot more than almost anybody else, but we don't get better results. That's well, I mean, true. part of it is a lot of the spending is is ineffective. Now, there are two ways. One is it it just is ineffective. It never had any chance of working. Uh, when people look at therapies and drugs uh, that haven't been statistically tested, they find very often it turns out they never worked. Hmm. Now, again, not for the really striking examples where, you know, we gave the guy penicillin and he was on the edge of death and he's better in two days. But for lots of things, we said we kind of thought it worked, but we never really did a careful statistical study because as an MD, they'd say, what is a careful statistical study? And he, they don't really know. I mean, Ionides was going, you know, when he, whenever he looked at medical things, you know, he – you know, it was it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Huge fractions of everything they did was wrong. It's not strong at all. I mean, there's all sorts of places that do very well that are poor as dirt because most of the things that are effective are uh, cheap. I mean, chlorinating water is very effective, but it's cheap. Vaccinations generally are very cheap, but they're effective. Uh, the uh, uh, you know the most in fact, I can think of really one example where we could really make a lot of difference, but it's going to cost a lot of money, and that's this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you think we'd have a lot of mass in reserve. We have a strategic stockpile of them. But would you think that? I certainly wouldn't have thought it. I mean, it's it's it hasn't happened in the Western world. Well, with this intensity, age was different. It was only certain groups had a big risk, not majority groups. And it was also much slower. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing like this was the 1918 flu. And not only has that been a long time, it doesn't seem to have left a big, you know, there are things about World War One that killed fewer people than the flu, but people remember better. You know, they mm -hmm. make movies about life fighting in the trenches, even recently, right? 1970. Right. But they don't make a lot of movies. I've heard people talk about it as it was just if people just didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to think about it. There's relatively few publications. It seemed to not have a very big place in people's uh, minds uh, after it happened. Uh, uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, but, uh, uh, but you know, into, you know, is 
thinking about the exponential phase of of dangerous respiratory epidemics part of the typical educated person's mental furniture no yeah and they're not you know and just be, because they need to do it doesn't mean they're going to put any effort into you know i don't think we have many people who are going and learning some simple uh, propagation models of it or anything yeah uh, by the way they are mathematically at least you know your first models they're not really that complicated but uh well, compared to what's tested on the SATs, they are, but, you know. <laughs> They're not really complicated compared to calculus. Well, yeah, but that's for our, well, okay. a lot of people that is or, complicated. Or analytic geometry in high school or yeah. – uh, Well, let anyway. me, let's switch topics and just what do you think is going to happen for the coming week? Like what would be good news, What you know, reasonable good news or reasonable bad news for the next week? Well, this will sound bad, but reason, good news for the U.S. is bad is is to have some spectacularly bad news out of Italy to motivate us to crack down. I think people are capable of of, of listening and believing in it. Uh, although, also at this point, probably Spain and probably France, but Spain is you know probably the closest behind Italy in in this pattern uh, because it is not enough to make a logical case. I have made logical cases to people, impeccable logic cases, and they did not immediately embrace my thesis. Hard as that is to believe. Uh, and, um. Do you think you the know, United States might even need something worse for, for, for us? That is, um, like, you know, have New York, have horrible outcomes in New York City where? I hope not. I'm not sure. I kind of think that a lot of people are, you know, they're getting scared into doing more and, one positive thing is their polls are not get suffering for it, not yet. I mean, a politician who thinks, you know, if I do this, it will do me, he's less likely to do it. Uh, so I think, uh, but, you know, will people like it if it goes on for a while? I said, probably not. But if we do it, if we crack down enough to get our not below zero and then hold it there. You mean one. Even for, before one, yeah. Uh, growth rate below zero. Uh, uh you know, things could look a lot better by the summer uh, if we do the right things. Um, people don't want to do the right things, and people, you know, not just the political class. Nobody else wants them to really. I mean, not a lot. I mean, uh, well, I see plenty of people saying, "I think this would be bad for the economy," and they're not wrong. Right. Uh, on the other hand, they are perfectly willing to come up with false implications to make it look worse. Like, for example, if I wanted to, I could pretend this was the Black Death and it was going to kill half of the population. But it isn't, and it won't. But it might kill 3%. Yeah. And that's still a lot of people. Uh, I mean, it's more people, you know, percentage-wise than, than we like lost in this, you know, it's kind of like the Civil War. All right? Uh, and, um, but yeah, I see. Well, although, I guess I should be fair, because some of the people who are saying false things, which they think you know, are hopelessly ignorant, so I guess there's no point in, uh, no, but, you know, like, when somebody says, I have seen this graph, and here's the correlation between G uh, GNP and lifespan, I said, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, I mean, but we know it doesn't cause it because of these many exceptions where poor countries that do well or even better. Mm -hmm. uh, we we know that. I mean, like, the fraction of money, of, of uh, the fraction of GDP spent on, uh, uh, and the absolute value are both lower in Canada than the United States, but I don't think that the average lifespan is any lower. Yeah. Well, just how long do you think that if we if we did lock things down, how long would it have to be for <laughs> before we could go back to mostly normal? Um, 
a long time to be mostly normal. But if you want to talk about half normal, half normal is when you're learning from the countries that never got into such deep trouble but managed to get it under control, like South Korea. You were doing lots of testing. You're doing things like – you know, you'd have to get your temperature scanned before you go into your office building like they do in Singapore. You might have to wear a mask most of the time. Uh, and uh, while we're trying to get a better handle on things, mm-hmm. uh, but the point is there are these intermediate things which would allow most people to go to work. And how long uh, before we could get to that stage, do you think? Maybe June. Right. If, if we do lots of smart things in the meantime, I'm not confident. Uh, but, I mean, the thing that makes me feel more optimistic is that things are going to get worse in many places so fast that people will be scared into being – I mean, it's happening already. People are being scared into being more careful and more sensible how, and have better how, policies. How far are we behind Italy in the United States right now? How many days or weeks? I don't know. Probably no more than a month. Okay, so but that is enough time to learn. If you know, uh, you know, actual uh, coverage, especially video coverage of Italy, might be very helpful. Uh, I mean, I was looking at some, uh, you know, various numbers and things, uh, and I don't think that all of these are penetrated. I mentioned that one town that had four times as many deaths. You know, there was another which was only three times as many. Oh, and and I should mention. When you have a, if the normal the normal number of deaths in a town of over a certain period is uh, 100, mm-hmm. then and but instead you get 400, that is not a statistical fluctuation. The standard deviation, you know, that you know within which you wouldn't be too surprised to see it change that much, is 10. Yeah. Okay, so this is a 40 standard deviation difference. It's real. Or something uh, else is going on. There's another. Well, yeah, that would be just there. our. At, I would start to be worried if I found out there were two separate, independent deadly diseases running around at the same time. Let's stick with Occam's razor in this one. One's enough. Okay. I think it's just this, and I think that it's a real quadrupling of the death rate in this area in Lombardy. Uh, and again, it won't go on forever because after a while everybody will have had it. But uh, it could go on for a few weeks, and it could kill you know vastly more than it has so far. Hmm. Uh, I hope that the Italian measures are good enough to slow it down and and then stop it. But I I can't see that it's, they're working yet. Again, it takes a while. Uh, but and, the, and again, unfortunately, I don't think they're doing as much as China did, or as much as South Korea did, or as much as Singapore has done. Uh, so uh, we shall see. Uh, but uh, you know, something as simple as being a place where people are standoffish may make a difference. You know, so you know, I remember people saying that you know the way that uh, Finns, you know, would express interest would be by looking at their own shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that might help them. Uh, saunas may not. Uh, um, it's weird. Like, all my life, I, I've been an introvert and I felt I had to fight that and it was wrong. And now this, this well, is, I, I wish I, I could decide for this. I, I wish I could say this under more favorable circumstances, but this is your day. This <laughs> is your hour. Uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> you know, if you were interested as an economist, you know, and since it's 
Um, like if I see economists, and I have seen this, uh, busy explaining away levels of danger and again saying, well, it's okay to lie about it because it would be bad for the economy. I mean, or they could be saying, I don't know anything about it, but I'm an economist and I'm confident anyhow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Epstein also had a piece about this, and every single thing in it was wrong. He, he's a legal scholar, not an economist. But. Okay, but all right. Well, hey, you have a law degree. There, you have two hats. Do that. Right. But he's wrong. Uh, Ionides is ridiculously wrong. Uh, but also people who are explaining that major economic contraction even you know, has all sorts of bad consequences that it does not. By the way, it has bad consequences. Although, you know, one thing that, you know, probably would you'd have to be brutal and talk about is you got to remember an awful lot of the things people do at work, if they stopped, no one would really notice. Except in some cases, they'd be ecstatic. Uh, I mean, I, you know, what is the fraction of, you know, you can think of jobs that are essential, jobs that are useful, jobs that, yeah, this could turn out to be a good thing in the long run, like, you know, maybe somebody who had a, a job in charge of stockpiling surgical masks. Uh, and there are jobs that are, that are not necessary, but are pleasant and entertaining. But, you know, I, I, surely a third of jobs are totally useless. I mean, we have an awful lot of bullshit in this economy. Uh, I mean, we do things that nobody used to need to do. So you have to wonder. I mean, we have a lot more administrative personnel in schools, for example. Okay, lots of things like that. Uh, I mean, and in colleges. But why? You know, it says, well, we have to. I said, but we didn't used to. Uh, uh, many things like that. Well, uh, yeah, that is. We, I mean, this is while this is overall horrible. Of course, there are some pluses in that we're going to learn what things we don't need to do, what things we can do online. I'm kind of hoping we'll learn certain people not to listen to, but. To be fair, some of the people saying stupid things don't realize – they don't know anything about this sort of thing, and they also apparently don't understand that they don't know anything about it. Maybe that could change, and and maybe you know bluebirds will fly out of my butt. Some of these people have never been right about – the people who are always wrong about everything before mostly still are, with the possible exception of Taleb. Uh, But – yeah, I mean, it, you could probably find people who were fundamentally more accurate, but I don't expect them to become the columnists of the future because people don't want to hear that. Columnists are primarily cheerleaders. Uh, I mean, if you had a columnist who was right all the time, how could he hold a job? They would fire him. I mean, maybe he could get money from a hedge fund, you know, to be their special to write their investment advice or something. But if you worked for any, the New York Times or the Washington Post or even the Wall Street Journal, which is a cut above, and you were consistently right, including the times it goes against the grain of other people, they'd fire you. And they'd probably despise you. Yeah, well, we're not really optimizing for truth in a lot of our economy uh, well, or opinion making. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, like, you know, on the, on the subject of Iraq, being right was bad for your career. And yeah. you can find plenty of guys who are spectacularly, disgustingly wrong, and then they end up being editor of the Atlantic or some other thing like that. I mean, and that was he's that person is one of those people. Uh, uh, by the way, the Atlantic, uh, I was I remember seeing. Oh, uh, another thing which I think we've touched upon before, but you know that uh, most of the professional epidemiology people, including the CDC, including WHO, were saying that you know that not just quarantines, but other you know, not just limiting travel, but, you know, all of these things that China has done so much of and so effectively, I mean, you know, after they got into trouble, 
they don't work. They're just, you know, nobody should do it. Everybody knows science says they don't work. I said, well, we are fortunate that the Chinese pay no attention to what Westerners say on these. You know, I've been reading a lot how this, this crisis is showing us that we need to listen to our experts and they don't take into account what you just said, that the experts on epidemiology were wrong. And we, they've been wrong for many years. I've been wrong and, uh, you know, to the point of, Massively increasing deaths on certain things, and they didn't change either. And they um, weren't warning us; they weren't doing whatever they could to say, "Hey, this is really some bad." Of them, some of them were doing that. Some of them were doing that. Except I don't quite know what it was they wanted anybody to do, because essentially all of the measures that would be useful, you know, with a few—I ex- mean, they might have been for mass, okay? okay, but for you know the things about radically trying to you know keep people separate. Uh, Radically slowing travel, uh, you know, blocking international sources to the extent you can. They're against all of them. So they were, and, they certainly weren't advocating we need to, you know, cut off flights to China. They weren't saying to do it before Trump actually did it. You know, I bet somebody did, but mostly they didn't. Yes, mostly they said it was a mistake. By the way, you know, it probably would have been earlier. I mean, it, it probably helped a little. I mean, instead of having, you know, however many original groups we had, like, it looks like there was, Probably a single guy who really got the ball rolling, you know, who brought it into Washington State and really got the ball rolling. Probably in mid-January is the estimate. Nobody knows who, but you know, uh, that may have been. Be- that was probably before the travel ban, wasn't it? If it was mid-January, but not much before. But the point is, it's before. Uh, and if you had let more travel, you would have had perhaps more such uh, little uh, clumps start here and there. But you know, it wasn't enough to save the day. It maybe saved you a week. Uh, uh, if you had done it it earlier it would have been better it's a difficult thing to do Uh, but uh, I mean if they had said you know quarantines are difficult to really make pay off that much is true but uh, but you know it's it's not really mysterious you know like what was the the where they went wrong I said I don't know I mean I I was interested in this I've I've looked at this in the past and I've always known they were wrong about this Uh, and uh they didn't, but you know, I knew. Mm-hmm. Now, like all the Chinese had to be said, well, look, when you say an argument that makes sense, and they do often. I mean, there's a lot of epidemiological modeling which is useful and you know reasonably valid. And I bet that guys from China said, yeah, there, I like that, I'll use that. And here's the thing where you say something insane. Well, screw that. All you have to do is, you know, look, I I think the Chinese would have the advantage of sort of looking at it as outsiders. And they'd said, you know, we'll take the part that looks like it makes sense. And then when you say something's obviously stupid, that you're sort of, but people of your sort are supposed to say it. It's some sort of marker. That doesn't mean we have to take it seriously. So the Chinese had an advantage in that is even they, they probably learned some, I mean, I'm sure they've learned things from other developments in the world, many in the United States on epidemiology. And there were other things that were obviously insane. And they just said, well, you know, we don't have to do that. And uh, I and on the positive note, I've seen at least three uh, uh, pieces by epidemiologists said, well, maybe we need to rethink it. Maybe it does work sometimes, which and those three people are probably sensible. But, you know, I could find all sorts of names of famous people in this field who were telling you, don't do, you know, don't do any of the things which are the only things there are to do. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, in a better world, I would fire them uh, and, you know. Put them into some tasks that more suited their abilities, you know, such as slopping hogs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, 
I mean, and we have a lot of things like that. We have a lot of things where <clears throat> there are certain things that you're supposed to say if you're a member of a certain group that are false, and they make actually work better as a marker. I mean, like, suppose you could only prove you're an epidemiologist by saying things that were true. Anybody could do that. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, there are things like that in, among See, economists. That's the value. No, economists, you have to be really good at math. <laughs> so that's a good marker, and you don't have to deliberately say false things. Uh, you have to certainly avoid saying certain true things. Uh, and uh, Yeah, given the environment we live in, but, you know, um, it's not relevant I mean, to most of what we I mean, do. I'll tell you, economists are biased against the idea that, uh, for example, if the GDP fell by half, that the probable change in lifespan would be zero. But it's true. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, most economists probably don't know a lot about that and would say I would look into but it. But their inclination is that it must matter. Money is important, right? And by the way, Money is important, but not for that. Uh, uh, not you know, one can imagine a day in the future in which this changed. Let's suppose we develop medical interventions that are very powerful. Let's suppose we could uh, stop aging, yeah. for example. That'd be. That, by the way, if we do that before June, that'll solve this problem, uh, and several others as well. Okay, but suppose you could do it, and there's nothing impossible. It's not against the laws of physics. Uh, but suppose at least at first it was very expensive. That would be a case in which, you know, rich, rich people would live materially longer because of their wealth. There have there were cases like in the Middle Ages, people rich people live longer because when a famine came along, they didn't starve. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the major difference. You know, maybe a little bit in food quality, but mainly it was just, you know, if you were fairly rich, you would not go hungry and. Every now and then, there were real famines where people really starved to death in medieval history and earlier. But uh, today, we don't really have many things like that. And uh, uh, rich people, uh, I mean, they live a little longer. But as far as I can tell anything, it's because being a healthy person is more likely to make you rich rather than the rich have the, the wealth actually having uh, much of an effect. Because, like, you know, that thing where I, you can go off and buy, say, four years of life. For say a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars, there is no such thing. We don't have it. We don't. We don't have. That's not where technology is. There are things that would help you, but a lot of them are, you know, like like you could stop smoking. How much does it cost to stop smoking? It doesn't actually cost anything to stop smoking. Uh, there was an uncle of mine that the only reason they finally got him to quit is they finally got him to add up how much he was spending on cigarettes. He, he was cheap enough he would quit if you put it that way. Uh, but um, all right. So uh, yeah. Anyhow, economists want to. Their natural inclination is to think. Uh, the and also, I would say libertarians are not doing very well on this. Although hopefully you'll be a shining exception, because they know that telling everybody what to do can't be the answer. I don't but, know. I mean, from some I've seen, except that this this is a situation where that won't work. There's practical reasons to be a libertarian, and you recognize under this kind of conditions. There's there's such huge externalities and you know, collective action problems yeah, the, that so so like that you know that would mean work. a libertarian would realize you probably need to have a draft in World War II if the alternative is that Hitler will come and kill you. Uh, but I can tell you, a libertarian, you know, who does not say that? <laughs> no way. You're Poland. Should you have a draft? You know, shortly after Hitler comes to power, Ryan Kaplan was against question. it, doing it at all. He counts. He's won. I mean, yeah. mine's of course, if most countries didn't have drafts, that would be an improvement, right? If you take that yeah, perspective. Yeah, but only one good 
mean country would have a draft, and then they'd kick everybody's ass, and that's the way it should be, right? Well, uh, anyway, yeah, we're we're sort of so. so no, um, but my point is, uh, I have seen now. You've maybe listened to the less wrong community. I haven't been following mm-hmm. them. Um, what's their reaction been? Oh, we've been worried for much longer than normal. But talking, all right, a couple of questions. Uh, have they been seeing things clearly? And this. I, I, I mean, I haven't done a rigorous study, but my impression is, yeah, it's it's much better than average. I mean, we're they're, they're okay. talking about things like, for example, with packages, how safe is it? What should you do? Should you have a quarantine part of your house you put them in? Is not this is not something we should be worried about? Other things like what I a piece of advice I got is like putting copper over doorknobs and it's, putting copper on the back of your cell phone. I have one which would work, and it has the merit of making people twitch and even mention it, which makes any idea better. Uh, what we do is, like, I can imagine that you and many other people who are more or less staying home to work yeah. or just to stay home uh, would like to be able to buy a pizza but have some worries since a human prepared that pizza that it might have some virus. I've, I've had this discussion with my wife. She is more in favor of getting takeout than I am, we'll say. But But even she would like it if – there was a simple way to make it perfectly safe. Yes. Yes. There is. More, she, what is that way? Well, what you do is at the pizza shop, you put it in the box, and then you put the box on a little on rollers and run it into another box, one that's lined with lead and has a cobalt sixty source. Ah, I will suggest this to and our it, local pizza place. Uh, and they actually are legal. They exist, but they're not used much because people are magically afraid. <laughs> I mean, food irradiation. It's legal. It's it's possible, but it's not used very much because people are afraid of it. Uh, but if you, but I'll tell you, if you have a pizza and you have irradiated with a cobalt sixty gamma ray source, and then we have a little thing that's sort of like, uh, you know, you know, it pops out, and you know, p- the person from outside can uh, pick it up. That's so what it, we it, need. Is everyone has one of those at the front of their home? We have drones deliver things. So you make something, it goes into the drone, it's dropped off into the gamma radiation source. And well, I safe. mean, it might be cheaper to have this at the sources, at the restaurants and things, as opposed to every. I mean, even I have to, I have to be in a really good mood to start enjoying the idea of a cobalt sixty source in the home of every single American. Uh, <laughs> But uh, okay, we have but, a centralized one. Then the drone takes it to the cobalt the place. That would gets, work, and then it but, flies to your home. So everything people, gets irradiated in between. People have travel. studied this will destroy the viruses. Okay, and it, it will reach in. It will destroy them on top of the pizza, in the middle of the pizza, on the bottom of the pizza, so this, on the top and the bottom of the box. So this is actually this could work. I mean, how much would it cost to say set something up in, in like you know where you 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 start your own delivery service? I don't know how much it would cost. They are commercially available. Well, I that's suspect, that's they're the, not the, super hard to make. I mean, this is sort of thing. out there, like you know, gamma food development or something. You, I mean, if we do this right, you'll get to the point where your mouth will start to water every time you smell ozone. Yeah. So yeah. you you have a takeout service. You, your, your people pick it up from from the restaurant, goes into the gamma ray. You have to make sure somehow you have to not contaminate the box where you're taking it to the other person's if, house. If we but, simply if if you pick it up and and they simply it comes out of a hole in the wall at the pizza restaurant you know in the front of the restaurant uh, in the box and nobody has touched it since it was irradiated and you're the only one who touches it that should do it that makes it a little simpler than having uh, than having an you know a, a central location or something uh, mm-hmm. but you know there might be several ways of doing it but the point is 
there are options like that that have been largely discarded in the past. Well, not it really should work with drones then, right? We're, we're not, we can have drones that can deliver. I am. It is packages. okay to, it is okay to, to deliver an irradiated pizza. It is not optimal to have drones carrying cobalt 60 sources <laughs> over the town. I, I get, I get that. Yeah. But no, but you could imagine, right? You, the pizza place makes it and then drone takes it to the cobalt 60 place and the drone drops it in the front of your house and the box is dropped in front of your house. With Possibly. Too. So awesome. we could, that, that could, that seems like something we could do. But the thing is, it's not just pizza. You know, there are several restaurants that face deep trouble. I eat all of them, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, I don't have anything against those guys. If we can come up with a technical way of keeping at least some of them open and, you know, people at home, they won't actually die if they can't get Chinese, but why not let them if we can? I mean, we're, I mean, that would mean, uh, by the way, people working at these restaurants, they still have trouble from being exposed to each other. And I don't have a complete solution for that. But we could, you know, if people are doing this takeout, they won't be exposed to customers. That's a good thing. That's a, you know, that's a very large exposure if you're a waiter or something or, right. or a cook or something. So, I mean, you know, you, you want to find ways around this as much as you can. This is one proposed way that would work for many a restaurant. I mean, uh, you know, for anybody who's willing to consider takeout. Which, you know, most restaurants will do that. And right now, you'd think many of them would, you know, they kind of have to in many cases. But if we can do it in a way that also means people aren't, are saying, you know, I know that food from that restaurant and it's utterly safe as hopefully tasty as well. Now, uh, I have to ask, is this something that could be used in a dirty bomb where we'd be creating a next crisis? Well, there is that. Uh, the, okay. Uh, well, that's a big downside if we're going to have a lot of. <laughs> You're Which is more important in this world? Pizza? <laughs> I mean, pizza's pretty important. Uh, but, you know, um, there might be a way to, I mean, look, I can think of other ways to do it that would not. I would build, except they're more expensive. You can have, if you have the equivalent of very powerful x-ray tubes. Mm -hmm. You know, the dentist has them, right? Uh, and then, now I would have to check. I mentioned gamma rays because I found good evidence that they destroy viruses efficiently. Now, I think you could probably do that with fairly powerful x-rays, but I haven't seen the reference yet. But let's assume that you can, all right? X-ray so pizza, that, that The work. point is, x-rays, people are more familiar with them. But the right. other thing is, if you have an you use these tubes, like a, you know, like a complicated version of an old vacuum tube to mm -hmm. make x-rays. Uh, and no, you cannot turn those into a dirty bomb. Now, what about just like ozone? Could you expose the pizza to that? Ozone, you know, will kill a lot of things, but I don't know that ozone will penetrate, particularly, you know, with these deep dish Chicago style pizzas, uh, which are. Which well, I are just the like best. thin pizza, so it's okay. For well, me, yes, but, but, but these are the best, and so no. they are what matters. Okay. Uh, like, do I expect ozone to penetrate deep into the, that pizza, which is four inches thick? No, I don't. So, but x rays will. I mean, look, x rays go clear through you and me. They'll work, uh, but you would need enough power in the X-rays. Actually, you know that the wavelength is probably all right. Probably get a question of getting enough power, but anyhow, yeah, X-rays might actually be better than using cobalt sixty, which, by the way, was also discussed as something you would use in the Doomsday device. No, wait, uh, my dentist. I canceled my appointment. I imagine that's happening all throughout the country. Could they just repurpose their equipment? All these dentists. Suddenly, they could go into the pizza. They could team up with a local pizza restaurant and irradiate the pizzas and have them delivered. 
I don't know. I mean, you know, they're not aiming for maximum power. Dentists want the minimum power that will give a good picture because they don't want to hurt you. But could could there be changes to the machines? I mean, we might have found a way of re-employing a large segment of our economy. Wouldn't wouldn't hurt to check. But I think you need more powerful X-ray sources, and those exist. Okay, I mean, like people use this. People use similar Mm -hmm. thing or super. Anyhow. The general approach is, but you know, there's many different ways to do this approach. If, if by the way, we find a way to marry a lot of, you know, dentists to, you know, girls who own pizza joints, and you know, this all, you know, causes a great new social trend. I'm all for it. But uh, uh, I mean, particularly thinking of my one dentist whose wife, you know, really screwed him in the divorce. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think, off the top of my head, that what the equipment they currently got would do the job because they've been making them weaker and weaker because we have better and we now use uh, solid state detectors instead of film. Uh-huh. Those use as little radiation as possible. You know, radiation is harmful to living things. N- eating irradiating things is not, but actually being the irradiated thing, you don't want to do that. But the so, dentist office, their technicians would probably have, they would have the necessary training to use the equipment. They would have like the safety to oh, sure. leave the room. So that this is actually viable. If they make new equipment, they could, We'll probably see pizza chefs with wearing lead aprons and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, something related to this could, in fact, probably work. Now, could it work fast enough? I mean, like, I don't know how restricted we're going to be and for how long. I mean, the usual rule, if you do something like this, somebody finds a perfect cure for this three days later and you've wasted your money. Uh, but it's like washing your car. It makes it rain. So, But we should pay somebody to take this risk to make it rain. But uh, anyhow, the point is there are all kinds of possible things that help that help you find workarounds that let you get most or all of the job done. I mean, some of them are actually better. I mean, there was never anything wrong with irradiating pizza, and if you did, you know, uh, pizza is not a big problem. But there are certainly foods, you know, common foods that you buy from a restaurant that have some risk of E. coli, for example. Okay. Although I haven't heard of it much with pizza. It's cooked at probably a higher temperature, but some things are, okay? But if you irradiate it, none of them have any risk from – not just from this, but from any other pathogen. So the, all the vegetables, <laughs> they say they're pre-washed, but you're supposed to wash them anyway. We wouldn't actually have to do that if they were irradiated. Right. Okay. I mean, if you used irradiated routinely and intelligently and carefully, uh, you know, certain foodborne illnesses would vanish. That's a big the only deal. Food- the only foodborne illness you would still have to worry about is people eating fugu. What's fugu? Oh, it's this uh, uh, puffer fish. The Japanese like it, but it's deadly poison unless you prepare it exactly right. And even when you do prepare it exactly right, your face feels numb after you've eaten it because you've still gotten a moderate amount of the tetradoxin in it. Yeah, it's 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 a food for insane people. Uh, but it's it's a it's a great delicacy in Japan. Uh, so it can also, by the way, use for making people into zombies. Good. Well, that's so you know. Yeah. Uh, and we could go on about that if you want, but let's get back to coronavirus instead of zombies. That's one good thing. It does not make people zombies. That's we should straighten that out immediately. But uh, the uh, yeah, there are many workarounds. There's, I mean, and people have found some of them already in places like Singapore. We should copy every reasonable thing they've done. Why not? And it's not patented. And truthfully, I don't think they'll mind. Uh, by the way, you know, some people think this whole thing was some elaborate plot by China. I don't. I don't think too many things in this world are elaborate plots. 
although it's not unknown. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't even think they really want to totally screw us since we're our, their major customer. Uh, and this, you know, I guarantee you that Chinese plants that we're hoping to come back online are going to be somewhat inhibited if American consumer demand is down 25%. Yeah. And but they'll could, sell us a lot of masks over the next year. You know, masks are not real hard to make. I mean, even some of these things people are saying, well, we've lost the technology. I said, look, yeah, but you can get it back in 10 days. These things aren't hard. I was reading about some, you know, major uh, clothing manufacturer said, yeah, we're going to start making masks. You know, we can make zillions of masks, you know, but it'll take us, you know, three weeks to gear up. Uh, you know, you know, people have made certain comparisons to World War II, but they're not terribly correct because most of the things we need more of are not, you know, like battleships or something. You know, they aren't, you know, huge physical objects that take lots of uh, energy to make and so forth. They're just things we could have made all along, but we foolishly shipped, you know, outsourced all our production to somewhere else. I don't think many of them take vast amounts of, like a steel mill takes effort and time to build. I don't think any of these things are even slightly like that. Almost in every case, you could repurpose existing things to do it. I mean, not every case, but I mean, certainly with surgical masks, there's nothing to it. Uh, certainly with ventilators. I heard uh, the president of GM, probably the only thing I've ever heard her say that I, I didn't disagree with, was saying, we have idled factories. Why don't we make some ventilators? And I said, why not? Yeah. And and people don't realize, you know, I also said the talking classes have little overlap with hog farmers. Mm-hmm. It's also true they have uh, little overlap with industrial engineers. But, you know, like in World War II, the sort of tools we used were moderately general. We would use lathes that could cut many things. We would use milling machines. We had, you know, these machines could be could do a number of things. And so it wasn't all that impossible to convert product, a, a, a plant that made uh, cars to one that made uh, heavy bombers. Mm-hmm. We did it. Or that made tanks or many other things. And uh, But today, in general, we're more flexible because today you have things like numerically controlled machines. Uh, you have a certain amount of automatic handling of moving of parts from one thing to another more than we did then. We have uh, 3D printers that can, when you have some odd shape, they can make any odd shape. Not always make it out of exactly the material you might want, but it gives you a lot of flexibility. We have, you know, there's a lot of industry in the United States, not as much as there used to be, but certainly more than there was in World War II. And it's because of things like these ability to reprogram the machines to do different things. We're more flexible on a shorter time scale than we ever were back then. And the things people are talking about, well, we have to gear up to make it. I said, you know, we won't be talking about it by the end of April because we'll be there. And that's another reason to lock things down, even if it, it is inevitable that it's going to wash over us, that we would much rather that happen over the summer uh, when we have a lot more ventilators and masks for doctors. If we and, make no other kind of progress than uh, doubling the amount or tripling the amount of ICU capability, that would be something. But I'll tell you, the real progress is finding better ways to treat it. Uh, uh, and, I, and, you know, if we have to, you know, again – the process, if once you're locked down, you should be going through a process of becoming a sophisticated lockdown, more like Singapore, more like Taiwan, where instead of saying nobody can get close to each other, 
where you're saying, well, you know, we can relax that 30% because everybody's wearing a mask now. We can relax it 15% because we'd have temperature scanners at every office building. We can, we can, re, we can relax it even more because we've pushed the number of cases down. So there's only, uh, there aren't many. In fact, we could easily get to the point where most of them are leaking in from the outside, just as they now are in China. Well, I like the idea of everyone has to carry a cell phone, basically a tracker. And then when someone tests positive, you can instantly know everyone they've been near for the last week and just go and test them. I don't like it, but I think it'll work. Well, in this situation, uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, and the point is, what you're doing is you're making, you're you're turning it, let's say, from a hard physical crackdown to a more and more, uh, you know, information-dense, let's, you know, we, we can get this done without having enormous burdens on the economy and everybody. So the nature of the crackdown should be changing fairly rapidly. We have plenty of people to learn from. Mm-hmm. We have, we'll be learning ourselves. So I would hope the economic, economic impact of it would be rapidly dropping. But for things like fast food, yeah, maybe we will need to irradiate. Uh, and, you know, and we can. Uh, so do you uh, know about the, is it, is it safe right now to get, you know, go to McDonald's drive-through window and get food there. Is that if it's being handled by a human? I mean, they probably are wearing gloves and things. Uh, are they wearing masks? This I don't know. I mean, are it they wearing? Be. They, uh, they people don't have masks. That, I mean, maybe McDonald's that does. I, that I'm thinking that it may not be yet, but we could make it safe in the near future by uh, radiating. We have a little, you know. We, we have a little box that, commu- you know, that communicates the outside. We put the hamburgers in there. They close the door in the box from the inside. We irradiate them. The person outside opens it up. He takes out the hamburgers. What about just a microwave? Would, how, would that help a little bit at least if I get you know, take out? I don't and put it- think so, but I don't know. It's certainly worth looking at, although that would you – know, then it takes all the fun out of it if it's easy. But yeah, no, I've wondered about that. I haven't had time to look at any studies about uh, viral load and microwaves. I'm thinking it doesn't do it, but I am not sure. Right. Uh, the, uh, I mean, like, a priori, it's hard to, you know, like, there's enough energy in a single gamma ray or, or a hard X-ray. If it goes through a virus, it'll bust it up. Whereas microwaves are, you know, each wavelength is, each photon is much bigger. Okay, so that's right, because ants only- can survive in a microwave, right? So... Now, how would you know that? Uh, I just I, Cats cannot, though, so. I don't want to hear any more about what <laughs> you know about this. I have, I mean, the only thing I know is that, you know, your little plastic um, containers of ketchup or mustard will not survive in a microwave. They will explode. Uh, so we had different habits as a young person, apparently. Uh, I We just blew them up and coated the inside of the microwave with ketchup. Uh, but, uh, yeah, find out. I don't know. Uh, okay, so any entrepreneur sitting, this is it's largely heat, and I don't know if that would do the job because you know you don't usually get things quite that hot. So this is a really <laughs> this is a good idea though because this is a it's a good industry. It'll do a lot of good right now, and it's something that's sustainable because of foodborne inju- foodborne illnesses. So we this is a this is what should be happening. We figure out a better way of doing something that helps a lot now and is sustainable when this is over and makes us healthier. Food food irradiation would make sense. Later, as well as now. I mean, as right. long as you do it in a way that's not hideously expensive. So it's something uh, entrepreneurs listening should hopefully be looking into. I mean, like if, you know, there have been uh, certain foods, certain areas where people have had troubles with sort of virulent strains of E. coli. Yeah. 
um, which could be dangerous, sort of wreck people's kidneys. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, if we did this right, it would never happen. But, you know, people have been afraid of radiation, uh, in a, in a, in an unthinking way, I believe. Uh, and, uh, so, yeah, there, there are probably many things like this. Uh, uh, I mean, like, here's an analogy. Back in World War II, uh, they said we'd need a lot of guys to work in these factories. We got to make these weapons. But, you know, oddly enough, a lot of the young men are off in the army. What mm-hmm. shall we do? Well, there were a couple of things people did. It says, hey, hey, there's some black dudes who aren't being uh, drafted in the army or, uh, or not as much. Why don't – would they like you – know, hey, can they work in our factory? You had women working in the factories. They, these things had always been possible, but when they became necessary, people tried them, and That's they worked. good analogy. There's all kinds of things like that. Uh, the uh, – uh, so – but, you know, sometimes it just means, you know, buying some special equipment – you know, if we're talking drones, you'd have to get a drone. But, you know, there are people who make them. Uh, of course, one of the things about some of these things is people worry about, you know, Chinese supply trains. And But, you know, the Chinese are trying to gear up. They'd probably be happy to sell somebody something as opposed to nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how bad that would be. But, yeah, I think there's many things you could do. I mean, you know, we all know pizza is the first and most important of these things. But, uh, uh at least that's how I used to say when I was still allowed to eat it. But, uh, 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 but the, I, mean, I think there are many others. Uh, you know, I don't actually think we can do it with dentists once because, as I said, they, they, they're going for the minimum power that does the job. Uh, and, and that has been decreasing with time because we have gotten better at this. Uh, like the amount of, of x-rays you get in a dental x-ray is probably, I don't know, a third of what it was uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, um, but uh, – I think there are many things like this and, you know, sit around and think about it. Uh, I mean, look, there are old fashioned things like, uh, uh, my wife is probably going to start making masks with her sewing machine. Oh, that's nice of her. Well, you know, somebody's got to do it. And I mean, will she do it after they're common or easily available? No, but she's mm-hmm. got a sewing machine. She knows how to sew. Why not do some? I mean, and you know how many people have sewing machines? Yeah. Uh, uh, they're not that rare. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, any rate, you know, there are lots of things people can do. There are lots of, you know, there are lots of cases in which a person who can't go to a certain job, there may be something else, you know, some of this, uh, like, uh, you could say so-and-so, you're out of this job. Like, we're going back to the past. Uh, the war's on. He said, well, aren't there things they need me to do for the war? And, you know, people found those things. But it strikes me with things like, you know, I hate to say it, things like the internet, you could match people up with those different jobs that now need people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be stuff like, you know, uh, you know, building things that in some way, you know, like suppose we're building these temperature sensors or something to put it the, or designing the first ones or something. You can shift people who were doing other things into that. I heard people suggesting that, uh, you know, the majority or all, uh, you know, science grants, People should be allowed to repurpose their grants to do work on coronavirus. Now, I don't think that in every case it's very it's hard to it's easy to see how somebody could do this, but I think in many cases there might be ways. Uh, I know people, you know, anybody who does genetics might be able to do some useful things on tests or analysis, or maybe they could be moved sideways a little bit and do some biochemistry and try to help yeah. figure out treatments. I I admit that this can easily degenerate into a lot of people trying to do things they don't know what they're doing. But I also think that after a while, people learn things. Uh, uh, so, you know, there's 
there's lots of things to try, lots of things to do. Uh, I just hope we don't end up with a huge labor shortage. The, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, um, reminds me of a science fiction story I read in which, uh, you know, somebody has released some invention that's designed to totally destroy the social fabric. And by later that day, people have said, eh, it's not that bad. It's kind of useful. Uh, we're going to do everything in a different way now. Uh, and actually, we're going to be better off. It was called business as usual during alterations. Now, it was probably ridiculously optimistic. But I'll tell you, we're closer to the ability to switch rapidly than we were 50 years ago. Uh, we have yeah. more educated people. Some of them must remember something that they learned in school. We have uh, – Oh, you were talking about tutors. There are people who could be doing online tutoring. Uh, I mean, one of the I think that's sorry. I think that's going to be big. I think a lot of parents are now homeschooling, and you know, most kids will go back, but there'll be some who'll be like, "Wait, this is better," and they'll just they'll continue with it, and they'll want to hire tutors for things that parents aren't of, good at. If the schools are comfortable and open again, I think most people go back. But some people might change. Yeah, but I mean, if one percent don't go back, that's enormous. I mean, that's there's so many kids out there. Well, it, it, you might see a difference, but I think most people like hanging out with other human beings. Really? Uh, it's, I thought that – well, people said that, but they actually like that. That's just weird. All right. Now I'm joking. Uh, it's first. true. <laughs> I mean that's why they have raves and things. It's it's really, really true. Uh, and so although, people aren't just faking that. Those people really are. They're extroverts. Are, all right. It's good to know. What was my favorite? I was thinking one of the guys I think has done the best quick response – to, uh, uh, I was talking to a friend and he was saying, you know, it feels like this last week has been a month. And I said, I don't know. I thought it was at least a year. Uh, <laughs> but some people are adjusting rapidly. I saw something from the, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, this, uh, satire magazine, the, uh, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Babylon B. Yeah, the Babylon B. And they showed a bunch of, uh, kids, uh, on the beach in Florida in spring break. And they had arranged a bunch of corpses into the the four letters Y O L O. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's that's you know taking lemons and making lemonade out of it. Uh, by the way, it's actually kind of hard to uh, to truly uh, be you know do satire in, a, in in some totally strange situations. But there are people out there who are doing their job. Uh, you know, I'm, I am sure you will see people explaining. That, you know, like on the question of delaying optional surgery, that, you know, if somebody who doesn't get, you know, her tummy tucked, the world will die, will end quickly or something. You'll, I mean, you'll see plenty of people making complaints like that and they'll be funny. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen weirder things than that already. Uh, but, uh, but for example, when I said, you know, we'll be seeing high fashion masks being made and then, so, and then this, uh, what was it, uh, you know, a Christian, you know, I forget the name of the ladies uh, thing in New York, a high fashion. Uh, people said, we'll start making masks. I said, that's a good thing. Uh, uh, and I think you're going to see many things like that. But, uh, you know, the sort of things where, you know, the Internet is better at, which is to some extent matching up people with jobs, that should help. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Well, OK. That was uh, very interesting, Greg. And uh, I hope I hope we find Hope we get scared by Italy, but Italy doesn't get too bad. You know, the ideal situation is, you know, somehow we had a bunch of pictures from the near future. I don't see how to do it. But I think this is so alien to people 
the process by which it spreads is so different from what they're used to that only, you know, the best we can hope for is distant experience will educate them. I mean, if, I mean, I have people saying, well, you know, we'll probably only have, you know, somebody said, we'll only have 1% infected. I said, what stops it from spreading further? And they just say, well, it just will. I mean, I've seen a bunch of people say that. I don't know. They're just saying, well, it just will. I said, but it usually doesn't. Uh, uh, and, uh, it's odd. I mean, there have been, you know, I, I was saying there are, have been diseases that took a special physical situation to spread. Like, like if you have yellow fever, you had to have a certain kind of mosquito around and it didn't go places where there wasn't one. Okay. Mm-hmm. That one's limited. You could have things where only people with certain unusual practices were likely to spread something and then it doesn't spread past them. Okay. Uh, I mean, things that are hard to spread, you know, Ebola, it was very dangerous, but it didn't spread terribly well. The main thing in West Africa is the things they were doing to, to prepare a body for burial, things that weren't particularly horrible or anything, but they turned out to be bad in this situation. Right. Uh, but uh, this – or you could have something where 80 percent of people have already had it, so it only spreads among the 20 percent that have not. You know, Measles can do that. I said, but here we have a thing. It's new. Nobody's resistant yet, or only a very few. Uh, it's, it doesn't need a special, it doesn't need mosquitoes. It doesn't need a special situation to spread, or at least not very. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the things that might make it be very limited, none of those factors exist. Uh, I mean, the only factor that might make it spread limited is, is us. Yeah, we've got to change our behavior. Well, all right. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for uh, talking to me. It's uh, we'll probably do this again a couple of more times before the crisis is over. Well, by the way, there is one other thing that we can oh. get rid of rid of this menace. You don't yeah. have to put this in. Something even worse happens. <sighs> yeah, we could be. So that's the spirit, right? Yellowstone could erupt. And... Yeah. You think people are going to sit around talking about coronavirus with Yellowstone erupting? I don't think so. There. So there. That's another kind of solution.